Hi, everyone, and thanks again for tuning in for a new edition in our series of personal interviews with, let's say, the most prominent and the most inspiring business leaders throughout the world, from all different sectors, from all different regions, and through all different areas of expertise. As you may know, we're not going to focus too much on the business side, but what I am really interested in is in the personal journey, the personal values, the drivers and their journey on their leadership, their reflection on leadership, what makes them tick, what gives them energy and what keeps them awake at night, of course. And today I'm honored to uh, present to you a very special guest again, because we are going to talk uh, with the Executive Vice President and Group CEO of Unilever Prestige. Please welcome a special personal conversation with Vasiliki Petru. Vasiliki, a very warm welcome. Thanks for making time for us in your, well, I'm I'm guessing a very, very busy schedule, right? Absolutely. Uh, it's my honor as well to be here. Look forward to the talk. Thanks, thanks. Before we dive in, just a little bit to get to know you a little bit more personal. You have uh, Greek roots, right? You live in the UK. How is yeah. it to live in the UK being a with Greek roots? Is it difficult? Yeah. I left uh, Greece a long time ago because I studied in the US uh, for four years. I lived in Geneva, Switzerland. Then I went for a small stint back to Greece, and then I left pretty much forever. <laughs> so I've been in the UK for the last 22 years. So because of my job and my travel, I kind of consider myself a global citizen with a Greek accent. Yeah, okay. But we, we, we will definitely touch upon that later, because I'm really interested in your experience with all those different cultures and working together with all those different cultures as a leader, of course. But before we dive into that, uh, the the... Yeah, the recurring format we have in these talks is, of course, that my previous guest asks a question to my next guest. And in case sure. of you, uh, my previous guest was Hannah Hennig. She is the chief information officer at Siemens. And she asks you the question. Um, I would really like to ask you, because you're in the cosmetics industry, beauty industry, um, it's really something which obviously we also seen as it will be looking at this as sustainability. So I have to 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 combine it. The question actually is it will be important to understand how do you take care of ensuring that the products your beautiful products are also accepted by your consumers because most of them are really not taking care of our environment and they are I'm sure interested to know how you are going to be addressing that topic and still deliver beautiful products. So in other words, the combination of the question of sustainability and basically your business. Yeah, perfect. Uh, first of all, it makes me very happy that people think of Unilever and then sustainability because this is something that is very much to the core and the DNA of the company. As you probably know, Unilever is a thought leader in all things sustainability. We often are a lighthouse of information, expertise, and capabilities that we do share with retailers or whoever needs help in the industry because we also think it's not about um, saving ourselves and the planet. It's how do we bring the whole industry forward 
and kind of taking the right steps forward in terms of uh, saving the planet. So we do a lot of work on um, on then or with products that are alternatives to plastic. For example, we have a lot of refillables. Uh, a good example is Thermalogica. One of their number one uh, pen sellers, the Microfoliant, is also coming as a refill, uh, and it's actually doing quite well. And our uh, mission needs to decrease uh, the amount of uh, plastic we use in our products and to use a lot of what we call PCR, which is uh, post-consumer recyclable material. And so we take the sustainability very seriously. And like I said, uh, we have big ambitions and a lot of uh, cost-based uh, uh, plans to get there faster. But we need also the industry to partner. It's not just about us. So it's one of the things of the topics where, we let's say, we collaborate with the industry versus working solo because saving the planet, it's a total mission. Yeah, so you really, as a Unilever, you really want to be a front runner in this area. How does this yeah. reflect uh, uh, in your personal values I'm interested in? As a person, how do you... How do you see I this? Kids. I have two kids, so we need to leave a better planet, right, than the one we inherited ourselves. And uh, I'm very optimistic about the power of technology, and I'm very close to a lot of innovations in Silicon Valley because most of my companies are based in California. And so I'm optimistic that technology will be uh, the disruptor to bring solutions that currently we can't even think of. So, but I'm an optimist in this area. I think the good thing in the crisis that has happened is more and more people and governments are aware of the issues. So I always say awareness is 80% of finding the solutions. That's interesting. Awareness is 80% of finding the solutions. Are your kids uh, having the same ambitions as you are? Do, you want, do they want to be in the same industry, in the same career path as you have? Um, my son uh, is more of a finance guy, so he's actually studying in the U.S. as we speak. Uh, I think he's going to go into investment banking. And my daughter is a very different, uh, much more creative person. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure actually what she's going to do. She hasn't, uh, she, she, she has told me one thing. She wants to be a football coach. Uh, so I keep uh, <laughs> Asking her to reconsider how this is, you know, going to earn her uh, and, and, in town because there is so much competition, right? And uh, and it's a profession which is quite male-dominated. But uh, who knows? Uh, I think now there is a new interest in uh, women and football, so maybe her dream will uh, come true. Who knows? Absolutely. We need to stay open. Yeah. And, 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 and what part of the DNA comes from you? Is it more the financial, let's say better approach or the creative I think approach? that's my husband. Yeah, I think my brain, uh, I always at least uh, want to believe that I have the perfect balanced brain, <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, uh, definitely creative uh, because I, I do a lot of my envisioning, uh, you know, with uh, listening to my gut, my intuition, kind of connecting the dots, you know, of patterns I see out there. But my husband is very financial, so I want to believe the kids, Yanis uh, at least, my son, has taken a lot of DNA from my husband. I, I believe I have 50% analytical and 50% creative brain. 
that would be the ideal combination, I guess, right? Yeah. Especially, especially in your industry as well. And you, you on personal level, when you were a kid, what were your ambitions to be? What would be your, let's say, dream yeah. profession when you were growing up? Yeah, I don't even remember, to be honest with you. I don't even remember. I always love traveling. I always love traveling because traveling for me, it opens up the horizons. You learn so much, right, about different people, cultures, tastes. And so definitely I've been a born traveler. And that has helped me in my job because it helps me again see things before they happen and different geographies are in different maturity curves uh, so all of that uh, it's kind of second to my dna but also helps me in my job yeah and then let's 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 reflect this on your leadership career so far you are yeah well you have an impressive career so far uh, which is also based for a big part on this travel on this dealing with different culture different regions from a leadership perspective in your opinion what's key to deal with that and what should you do as a leader in dealing that with that correctly and leadership uh, was the best leadership behavior for me it's very much about having a clear vision inspiring others with a vision um, I always believe a leader has to have followers. There is no point to have a vision, but to have no followership, right? Uh, uh, we live also in a new world where co-creation is key. I'm actually talking to you from our co-creation house uh, in London, uh, which uh, is very much like a futures uh, house. Uh, leadership is about empathy, understanding the smell of the place, the feelings in the room. Uh, I have a great example from um, a case study when uh, I could feel something was going on in one of my companies in California. And when I kind of talked it with the CEO, he said, how did you know? But I think it's this intrinsic gut feeling of um, feeling the room, even if it is across the ocean. Uh, that type of thing. Uh, so, so that, that's then, despite all kind yeah. of cultural differences, it is about this gut feeling. It doesn't really relate to any so. cultural differences. Okay. I think so. And the last point, I think leadership is service. Uh, we are of service to others. Ultimately, my biggest uh, duty is uh, obviously first to the consumers where we sell our products and our services, but also to our employees. Uh, I want to make sure I take it very seriously. Job creation, uh, making sure people, uh, we ensure their livelihoods. And uh, and that's why we always need to reinvent ourselves to make sure we continue the growth in the business so that it's a happy ecosystem yeah. of consumers, employees, and of course, our shareholders and investors. Trusting on your gut feeling, that's what I find interesting. That's, uh, of course, also looked at with skepticism, of course, because gut feeling, at some from some perspectives, it's not the way uh, you should uh, act, some say. But is it is it important for you to act on this gut feeling, to, to listen to what definitely, you feel? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I don't think it's um, the only thing we do. I mean, I've worked in the industry now for 30 years. Uh, I want to believe that I know the industry quite well. 
uh, inside out. Who are the key players? What makes a good company? What makes it a good brand or not a good brand? Um, but uh, first of all, let's take an example of when you're doing a deal or you're trying to partner with somebody. God still will be in the end after you've crossed all the data and you've done all the due diligence. Godfrey is the one that uh, will uh, will need to answer, does this feel good? Uh, are we going to partner with the same values? Uh, does the other company have similar values to Unilever and Unilever Prestige? Otherwise, we wouldn't be going, for example, on an acquisition because there is no point to marry. It's like a marriage, right? You don't yeah. need to marry a partner. That they have different values, it's not gonna work, no matter how good they are. So, do, do, do have you ever rejected an important decision based on your gut feeling, rather than oh, yeah. the, let's say, the Excel sheet and the numbers? Oh, a hundred percent, all the time, and uh, so far so good. Uh, <laughs> I you. have to be humble. <laughs> I want to be humble, but the truth is that uh, you know I've had. Acquired on behalf of Unilever Prestige nine companies that are very much the pride of uh, the industry, uh, but uh, we've also said no to I don't know another 30, 40 companies. So it's not about uh, and and some of them were very good, but uh, it wasn't the right marriage or partnership for us and Unilever Prestige. So definitely reading the energy and understanding the values is very important and the culture of a company. Because also one of the key, let's say, components in your leadership career so far is, of course, indeed exactly what you're saying, transformation and change. Uh, you have been acquiring a lot of brands, companies throughout the world, which means a, uh, well, most of the times a very complex uh, era of change and transformation and bringing different people and different culture together. Uh, from a leadership perspective, again, what are the, the, the key things that people should uh, well, should should be aware of, in your opinion. Uh, definitely, I think first always to be humble um, and respectful uh, of a company that you're buying, uh, because obviously to buy a company means that you see value and that uh, it's accretive to your existing business. And so, to be very humble, be very respectful. I think that will be number one. And to be really careful about what value you are bringing to the company versus potentially bringing a lot of bureaucracy or processes or systems that may not be relevant, you know, to the company that you are acquiring. Uh, that would be the second one. And then thirdly would be to align on the key job to be done. What are the goals? Uh, make that as specific as possible and then motivate uh, the people and the new company on what is the moonshot, you know, we're trying to achieve. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you and uh, we talked about the gut feeling. You, you said, well, values and uh, uh, the, 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 the moonshot. That sounds rather than, let's say, rather not arguments are that are set in let's say excel sheets on the numbers right um how do you combine this because those are huge yeah. decisions it's 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 dealing with lots of money with people how do you combine this in you as a person i'm a big believer in more shots in the sense that uh, when you have uh, more 
an aggressive, ambitious vision. Uh, it uh, opens up the thinking to possibilities and financial plans that uh, you don't potentially think if you have a more incremental uh, kind of vision. So let's say I want to get to 20, right? If I think about getting to 50, uh, I may end up um, at 30 or 35. That's closer to 50 versus the 20, you know, that was the original kind of uh, mindset. So I'm a big believer in moonshot thinking just to disrupt the mind into divergent uh, financial business models or financial growth plans that one may not see if they think it is purely incremental. Yeah. On the other end, the financial sheet could give more comfort than the whole other part, so to speak, you know, yeah. talking about values. Does it does it keep you awake at night in those processes? Because you really trust on your gut feeling, on the values and what you see and what yeah. you feel. can imagine that also leads to a lot of stress as well given the importance and the... I want to be clear, yeah, I want to be clear that uh, the gut um, and the values uh, and what we're talking about is also substantiated with financial numbers. It's not like, oh, it's like either or. It's an end uh, because uh, there are big investments to be done. And so the numbers take you as far, but that's kind of the backbone. You can't just go with a gut feel uh, to do business. You need to look at a company and the financial growth plan and all the due diligence kind of findings. But in the end of the decision whether to buy or not, this is where the gut feel, the cultures and the values come in. Yeah. Uh, so financials on their own are not uh, good enough or sufficient enough. That's the difference. It's always a combination and the whole, let's say the whole package is important and the balance in between the different uh, components in there. Yeah. yeah. Um, when it comes to change, I've seen your career so far, uh, let's say on a company level and on a sector level as well, you haven't been across that many changes because you have been working at Procter & Gamble and that for a long time at Unilever. How do yeah. you see, and, and in your current role, you, let's say, as far as I'm talking to you right now, you got energized by change, you got energized by transformation, but on a personal level, there is a lack of those different components from the outside, yeah. I, have to, I have to admit. Oh, uh, no, no, it's good. It's good you spotted it. Uh, for Unilever, maybe I'll start analogically, in PNG, the good thing is that you get the chance to move into different assignments. So every three years, uh, I got at least to experience something new, whether it was uh, a local role or a regional role or a global role and kind of traveling through different countries or managing a set of countries. I think the key principle I always say is um, uh, the ability to grow and to learn. Uh, that's kind of the key motivator for me. Uh, in Unilever Prestige, uh, I have been the founder uh, for Unilever Prestige. So I started from a blank sheet of paper. And then uh, on behalf of Unilever Prestige, I bought nine companies to date. And so every year it has been very busy because uh, 2015, I bought four companies, 2016, 2017, another two. And until, you know, then we had COVID, then I bought for last choice. So there the changes and transformations are coming in actually a lot. Until, of them. Yeah, yeah. 
continually, obviously, then you have to grow what you have bought, then continually look for acquisition. So it's an ever-changing environment where the business model and the organization, it's a living ecosystem that you continually evolve, you grow, and then you pause, then you decide yourself to make sure you are future fit and you're taking all steps to win. Is this, that's also interesting what you said, the ability to learn and to grow uh, from your, from a personal level, from your personal individual journey. Is it also one of the, let's say the key pillars, the key values, personal values for you as a, as a leader being in your current role and dealing with all the different colleagues throughout the world? No, definitely. I always say to my people, if you don't grow, first of all, obviously, raise your hand because we need to give you a more challenging assignment. But let's say, you know, you have ticked the box in everything, then it's time to go into another company or do something else. So I think stretching uh, ourselves and being uncomfortable and continuing to grow at all times, it's a prerequisite, at least for me in uh, personal growth and development you sound really like say well balanced and relaxed and 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 in control uh are there things that keep you awake at night obviously uh definitely because as you know we are living in a world that is very unpredictable that is always changing covid obviously was uh, the height of discomfort and we had 75% of our businesses, which was in brick and mortar, and all of the shops uh, closed yeah. down. But we had to pivot overnight to our e-commerce business. In the end, that has been a blessing uh, for being future fit, because now more than 50% of our business is in e-commerce. Uh, so that has helped us to be very agile and to be able to pivot, et cetera, et cetera. So I truly believe that... Um, discomfort uh, i always see it as an opportunity to reinvent oneself versus to kind of to be overwhelmed by it uh, but there will be and there are always things that keep me awake at night uh, i want always to make sure my people are well and they are happy they are growing uh, that we have a solid uh, healthy business a growth business and to make sure we obviously we anticipate the future uh, and to be ahead of others. Yeah. So a really people focus. What are the key things that are important to you to make sure your people are healthy and happy? Could you could you give me one concrete example? Let's say for example yeah. in your daily practice. In my daily practice, I would always check in with people. Um, I would always uh, make sure that they are learning. Um, you can see through people's eyes, you know, uh, whether they are happy or not. Um, but I always check in. We have a, a kind of high-performance culture in the sense that uh, uh, we have feedback kind of daily how did this meeting go? What can we do better? I am always a big believer also of the pool versus pools. Like when we have our CEO forums, what are the key topics that the CEOs want to discuss versus what are the messages I'm trying to deploy? Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm obsessed with meeting the consumer uh, in all things I do. And the consumer can vary from the consumer out there using our products to the influencers who can be our consumers, to the retailers, 
that are partners and to our employees who yeah. are our consumers as well. So this uh, angle of seeing uh, myself for the job to be done through another person's eyes has really helped me to be very pragmatic and very much externally focused versus internally focused. It's something this 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 focus on empathy and and looking somebody in the eyes and based on on feeling how people feel what people see what people say, it's of course and it's a bit a, a cliche I know but it 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 comes to the perhaps to the difference on the topic of female leadership. Is it more um, a um, uh, a matter of let's say female leadership? Are are female leaders more able to do this than? For example, male leaders, and I'm trying to 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 yeah. to, to to give the the contrast, of course. Yeah. But what's your yeah, what's your I, I that? would say it's definitely a trait of modern leadership. Uh, definitely, uh, women may be at least the stereotype is that we are much more intuitive um, uh, because we have the sixth sense and let's say more prominent uh, than men. But I would say a lot of these traits are becoming portraits now of modern leadership. And I have to say also a lot of men colleagues are getting more in tune with them. So I believe the world is changing and um, more empathetic leaders uh, are a must for modern corporations. I can imagine that is a development that has grown during the years, and I can imagine in your early career, being a woman, you have faced some difficulties with that to become the leader as you are right now. Is is, is that correct? Is that a correct assumption? I've been um, lucky in a sense. I hear lots of stories. Uh, you are right about women, you know, let's say not being treated properly in corporations, etc. I've been lucky because, uh, like you said, my first job, uh, my three-year job was uh, uh, with Procter & Gamble, a big American company. Uh, I mean, it was always uh, fair treatment, fair promotions. I never felt... Uh, that, uh, you know, being a woman now wouldn't have access to being promoted or recognized. Uh, and then uh, the same thing with Unimiver. So maybe because I, I've been part of these big uh, global companies that are very meritocratic, yeah. has served me easier, let's say, potentially than other women and than, uh, that are in smaller companies, so they're not as global. And what because be your biggest... the stars. Yeah. What would be your biggest advice to them? to do? I would say first never compromise your values. You know, I never compromised mine. And so values uh, is a separate cow uh, from that point of view. Always lean into growth and always be bold. You know, don't uh, hesitate to ask, uh, especially when it comes for a promotion. Uh, I've seen through my experience that most women double-guess themselves versus potentially men that will go forward much more easier uh, than a woman. Uh, so be uncomfortable, feel the fear, and do it anyway. Wow, that's a very great advice, I would say, for at least everyone, I would say, being male or female, doesn't matter. Um, Vasiliki, before we, before we come to a conclusion, of course, you also have the opportunity to ask a question to one of our following guests. And one yeah. of our following guests is Davide Grasso. He is the CEO of Maserati in Italy. What would be your question to him? 
what a great uh, thought. Uh, I think, um, at least in luxury, and Maserati consider it a luxury brand, I see definitely an evolution in consumer choice and moving from uh, owning physical luxury items to more enjoyed experiences or um, uh, living for the experience. Uh, so how would he see the marketing of Maserati evolve with that he thought in mind? Great, thanks. I will um, note down and I will definitely ask him uh, in one of our next uh, conversation I have. And before you and I conclude the conclusion in this very interesting conversation, I have to say, you talked about to keep on learning, to keep on growing. Um, as a final takeaway in let's say one or two sentences, what will be, what is your key, personal key learning so far that is at the same time an advice or a takeaway for our audience? Um, always uh, disrupt yourself constructively. Um, don't stay complacent or in your comfort zone. Uh, be humble, keep learning, um, out of the box thinking and hard work, always get recognized uh, and never compromise your values. Uh, be a positive, constructive disruptor, disruptor uh, for the industry and for the planet because we need uh, out-of-the-box thinkers to leave the planet and society in a better place for our kids, for the future generation. Great. Being a positive and constructive disruptor, that's what I keep in mind. And that's also what we keep in mind for the next conversations. Thank you. Thank you very, Great. very much, Vasiliki Petru, for being here and sharing your personal journey and your reflections on leadership. Thank you very much. Thank you. Likewise. And thanks to you for tuning in for another interesting conversation with one of the top business leaders in the world. I hope we will meet again in the future for another interesting conversation with a very inspiring business leader. Thank you very much. And thanks for tuning in next time again. Bye-bye.